From our scripture reading this morning, we are in the last paragraph of Galatians, which we'll be expositing as well. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. And let's read this together from the board. We are back in the English Standard Version this morning. And so let's go ahead and read this from the board together. See with large, what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so thankful to you that you are a holy God, that you have invited and enabled us to call you holy, to call you Father, because through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the redemption that he has purchased for us, you have adopted us as your own sons and daughters. Lord, you've made us a covenant family, and you've brought us all together to worship you, to live lives that glorify you, to obey you, to love you, to know you, and to be known by you. And Father, to that end, we gather here today and we worship you with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strength. We lift up your name because your name is the only one that is worthy to be lifted up in this world and in all creation. And so Father, this morning as we come before you, we ask you to Open our ears, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to know your word. Lord, that we may be, that we may understand it with our minds, that we may love it with all of our hearts, and we may be inspired to obey it with all of our wills. Father, speak to us through your word this morning, for that is how you speak today. We ask you to make us more like Jesus Christ and give us a higher view of who you are than what we had when, you, when we came this morning. Father, so speak, your servants are listening. We have not come to have our ears tickled to hear the wisdom of man, but Lord, we've come this morning to hear from you. So may you move me aside and may your spirit work in the hearts of each and every one of us the way in which you know we need. It is in your name we pray, amen. Amen. It has been, what's it been? I think uh, since November of last year, well, not last year, I guess, the year before last, that uh, we started in the book of Galatians. We've had a lot of breaks along the way just because of current events and stuff like that. But we've now come to the final paragraph of the book of Galatians. And uh, I'm excited about it because it is uh, really a summary of the rest of the book. 
So um, I don't know if, if you're like me, but when, you know, I didn't really get into the texting game until rather late. Um, and this is back, I just thought it was kind of silly to have to, you know, two, two, one, uh, two, two, five, 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 seven, seven, you know, and then, and I had, I was a youth pastor at the time and I had kids who memorized that so well that they didn't even have to look at their phone to do that. They knew exact, they would do it behind their back, you know, because they thought I couldn't see them doing that. And so uh, I didn't really get into the texting thing until I got my first BlackBerry phone. And I had a full QWERTY keyboard, right? And so, uh, but I was pretty late. And by this time, there was this whole kind of uh, texting etiquette that had developed that I guess is still, t- still around today. For example, there's someone here who likes to inform me that whenever, whenever they text me and I text back with a simple okay, apparently that's not okay. I won't mention names for her initials or Melinda Layden. So... <laughs> Uh, apparently that's not okay. That, that is not proper etiquette. And, and one thing, and another thing I didn't know before, uh, I, I knew before someone told me was that when you text someone in all caps letters, apparently that is like screaming. That is like fundamental Baptist standing on a front pew, waving a hanky, screaming at you, apparently. And I did not know this, and so I thought it made, I thought it, I was being polite because it would be easier to read the text if the letters were bigger. So, uh, so I was texting like this all the time until finally uh, someone said, why are you screaming? I'm like, I'm not screaming, I'm texting. They're like, no, if you write in all caps letters, that is screaming. I was like, huh, oh, okay, who knew? So, uh, so several months after I ventured into the texting world, I, I learned that rule. But even today, you know, like for example, I'll send things off of the text message board and, um, and you guys will see it. And if there's something I really wanna emphasize, what do I do? I, I put it in big letters so that you will see it. You know, it's like, we're meeting at 7.30, you know, not 7.45 Baptist, 7.30, right? And so we, we, we do this kind of stuff all the time. When we really wanna emphasize something, we put it in large letters. And so I don't think it's without coincidence that Paul, when he begins this final paragraph in Galatians, he mentions here, he says, see with what large red letters I am writing to you with my own hand. You know, the Holy Spirit knew the future. He knew what was gonna happen and he knew that you and I, or anyone for that matter, would not have access to Paul's original document that he wrote with his own hand. And so he inspired Paul to mention at the end of his letter that he is writing these words, these letters in very large letters so that the Galatians will see that this is emphatic. These, if there's any takeaways to take from the book of Galatians, these are it. If you've learned nothing else throughout the year, and I hope you've learned a lot, but if, you, but if you've learned nothing else throughout the year, These are four final takeaways that Paul wants you to get. And so he's he's writing this in an all caps sort of way. He's texting us in all caps this morning. Get this, understand this. He's made his argument and now he's ending his letter with some concluding thoughts, kind of action steps, if you will. 
And, and just like he said at the beginning of the letter, you may remember the first, the first argument of the letter is don't leave the gospel. Don't leave the gospel. Don't leave the gospel. And now that he's gone through this entire journey and we've taken this entire journey with Paul, at the very end, he's gonna say once again, remain faithful to the gospel. Remain faithful to the gospel. If you've got nothing else from all of this, false teachers, legalism, all of this, Remain faithful. Do not abandon the gospel. Beloved, if we abandon the gospel, then we are no different than a social club. We are no different. We might as well put Kiwana on our sign and let people camp out here because because that's all we are. We're just another get-together. We're just another hobby. We're just another uh, thing that we do on Sunday. Without the gospel, we are no different from any other group that meets, any other fraternal order, any other sorority, any other whatever it is. We are no different from those if we do not have the gospel. But if we stay faithful to the gospel, then that makes us a crucial force in this world. That makes us absolutely vital. I was very offended when our government saw fit to tell us that we are not an essential service. I beg to differ. And by the way, just so you know, I'm never shutting down the church again. I've decided not to do it. I will be here on Sunday. The doors will be unlocked. Do what you will. I'm never gonna do that again. I've learned my lesson. And so... And by the way, I'm not the only pastor in town who feels that way too. And so we're just not gonna do it again. And so anyway, we'll, we won't be stupid, you know, don't be dumb, but we won't be reckless, but we will be here because church is essential, beloved. Amen. We have the gospel and we must not abandon the gospel. We must remain faithful, maintain our faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question is, how can we do that? After all that we've talked about, how can we do that? The, the concluding the book of Col- uh, Colossians, <laughs> I just fast forwarded, the, I just went back three years ago. Uh, c- concluding the book of Galatians, Paul's gonna give us these four takeaways. And to be honest with you, I'm not gonna get through all of them today. So we're just gonna really look at two of them today and and then we'll have to come back next week uh, for the other two. But I will go ahead and give them to you. They are, if, if we're going to remain faithful to the gospel, then we must have wise discernment. We must, uh, we must have wise discernment. We must have confidence in Christ alone. We must have a gospel response and we must insist on biblical leadership. And so, so uh, to remain faithful in the gospel, we must have wise discernment. We must have confidence in Christ alone. We must, um, what did I say? We must re- uh, have a gospel response and we must insist on biblical leadership. So we're just gonna look at the first two today. Look at the first two today. Number one, we remain faithful. We must maintain our faithfulness through wise discernment. And I want you to look again at Galatians chapter two, verses 12, Galatians chapter six, verses 12 through 13. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Now, Paul has already spoken so much about this, but, but some of you haven't been here, so let me just kind of review what's happening in Galatians. Paul had began these churches. You can read about it in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. All of this area uh, constituted what the Roman Empire referred to as Galatia. And uh, Paul had founded all of these churches and no sooner than he had left, people had come down from Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, verse one. People had come from Jerusalem and they started convincing them that, you know, that, that faith alone thing that Paul preaches, you know, that's good for a start. But if you really, really, really want to get into the good with God, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law. And Paul went to war against these false teachers. God went to war and he is battling for your soul through the book of Galatians. And so Paul has talked about all of that. And he says that those who come, he brings it up one more time, specifically now though, to talk about their motives. Why would they do this? Why would you bring false teaching into a church? Why do people do this? The church has battled with false teaching all the way back to the Garden of Eden. All the way back. I mean, you remember that Satan walked up, the serpent walked up to Eve and said, has God really said And all throughout history, we have been hearing that question over and over and over again. Has God really said? And that all throughout, we have struggled and, and we have been battling false teaching. Beloved, the battle for all eternity, the spiritual war for your soul is the number one weapon that Satan uses is to pervert the teaching, to pervert the doctrines of Jesus Christ. You know, you can take just a glass of water and put just a little bit of strychnine in it. It's mostly water, right? So it's okay. No, it kills. And that's exactly what Satan tries to do. And it has a reproducing effect. It grows more and more and more. So we've got to have wise discernment. Why would people do this? Why bring up false teaching in a church And Paul gives a few motives here. Number one, he says, those who want to make a good showing. Why do they do this? Because they want to make a good showing. They want to make a good showing. That's an interesting word because in all of extant Greek, we only find it here and one other place in a a letter about 100 years before the New Testament. So we're not quite sure exactly what it means, but when you put the word together like butterfly, it's two words put together, so a fly must be a fly made of butter, right? So, well, not exactly, but sometimes you can do that. And this word, when you put these two words together, what it means is good face. In other words, they want to put on a good face in front of others, They brought in their legalism because they wanted to put on a good appearance before those that they're going to go back to in Jerusalem. They wanted recognition. They wanted to show off. They want to go back to Jerusalem and say, we performed X number of circumcisions. Praise the Lord. And this is one of the reasons why people bring false doctrine into the church, specifically why they lessen the gospel of what it is. So many people have left off some of the harder parts of the gospel today, like repentance. 
for example, like, like lordship, for example. They've left these things off. Why? Because if all you have to do is pray a prayer to a Jesus you don't know, to a Jesus you don't understand, asking about sin that you don't understand, if all you have to do is raise a hand, that can get me a lot of numbers, can't it? Understand that when we say faith alone, and by the way, don't get me wrong, faith alone saves, amen? Amen, that's right. But we need to understand how the scriptures define faith. It's not just mental assent. It's not just agreement with a prayer. It's understanding that I am a sinner and understanding that I have offended a holy God and that I'm accountable to that holy God and that, and that Christ came and died for my sins so that he took the wrath of that holy God so that I can be forgiven. And, it, and the gospel response is repenting from sins. The very first word that Jesus preached in his earthly ministry was repent. We turn from sin and self and we turn to Jesus Christ in faith alone for salvation. That's more than a prayer. We need to understand these things. But why, but why would we, why would we take away that? Why would we be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the power of God unto salvation. Why would we be ashamed to swell our arrogance, to swell our numbers, to be able to bring back big reports? I remember, uh, one revival where a speaker, he, uh, and he was one of these shouting Baptists, you know, and he would get on the pew and, and he got everybody all worked up and he says, all right, all right. Now the, here's the invitation. It's time to come. Uh, one, come on. I'm not going to do the two. I'm only going to count to three. Uh, come on four. And he kept doing that. And, 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 and there's a lot of people who came down to the altar call. There's a lot of people from our church. And he left and we did follow up on all of those and kind of find out like 99% of them, they're like, I was just confused. You know, I mean, he just, I was just under pressure. I, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't know. I just, you know, why do people do stuff like that? To swell their arrogance, to swell their pride. So they do that to make a good showing, but also they do it quite frankly, because they're cowards, to avoid persecution. Look what he says here in verse 12. He says, they make a good showing, they force you to be circumcised. Why? And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They don't wanna be persecuted. Paul knew all about how preaching Christ alone is a great way to get you ran out of town. To get you, it's a great way to get you ran out of a synagogue. Everywhere he went, he was run out of town. In fact, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, you look at Paul's resume. He had a master's of divinity from Westminster Theological Seminary, right? He had his doctorate from whatever. No, he didn't have that. Here's his resume. It included imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, capital punishment from the Jews, beaten with rods, stoned, and more. 
He had to be let out of a basket out of a city in order to avoid the authorities one time. He, he, uh, we think he might have actually been killed one time. We're not sure. And not even he's sure. He's like, you know, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. We don't know exactly what happened there. But Paul knows all about that preaching Christ alone doesn't exactly win friends and influence people in the culture. It doesn't. And now these coming behind Paul, they want, they want the recognition of Paul. They want the notoriety of Paul, but they don't want any of that. And they know that the way to do that, the way to keep the Jews off their backs is to say, hey, we're just like you. We're following the law too. We're just another sect of Judaism. That's all we are. We're just like you. And not only this, they know that if we stay Jewish in the Roman Empire, Judaism was a recognized official religion. If we stay Jewish, Rome will leave us alone. 300 years of persecution could have been avoided. Just stay Jewish. But Paul wouldn't have any of that. Paul wouldn't have any of that. All we had to do was compromise just a little bit, but Paul knew that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Can you imagine some of Paul's companions? Would you have wanted to travel with Paul? I don't think I would have. Everybody's like, oh man, I'd sure love to meet Paul. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Paul was not a good guy. He was, he was one of the bad boys, you know? He, he, he was the one, you know, I can just imagine some daughter comes home. You know, I really think I like that guy, Paul. He asked me out today. Like, no, <laughs> absolutely not, Right? Can you imagine some of his companions like, Paul, you know, if, if you would just ease up a little bit, you know, you, you'll have such a more effective ministry. It's hard to minister in a town if you get run out of it. So just, so just ease up just a little bit. I mean, all these churches calling you names and stuff, all these churches getting mad at you. He wouldn't ease up even a little bit because the gospel of Jesus Christ was at stake. He was unwilling to compromise. And beloved, this is gonna become more and more a greater, greater temptation for us as cultural pressure tempts us to bind, bend, and redefine our faith. And we already see it happening in so many churches. We're gonna be, re, we're gonna be tempted to redefine scriptural truth. We're already seeing church leaders doing this, defining it in terms of things like social justice and et cetera. I'm all about biblical justice. But beloved, we cannot redefine the scriptures. We cannot redefine truth. We're already seeing leaders do this in, in, in hopes of cultural acceptance. We can't do that. We can't do that. So they don't wanna be persecuted. That's, that's their motive. They want to make a good showing. They don't want to be persecuted. And number three, they want to cover their own failures. They're not just cowards. They're also hypocrites. Look at, look at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised themselves do not keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised. Why? So that they may boast in your flesh. Paul says, look, these guys who want you to be circumcised and be under the law, they're not even keeping the law. They're not even doing it. 
Paul's already established this in Galatians chapter three, verses 10 through 11. He says that the law itself says that cursed is the one who does not keep all things that are written in it. You break one law, boom, you're done. No, do not pass go, do not collect $200. You're it, that's it. If you, pay, if you pay the entry fee to the buffet, you gotta eat everything that's on the display. If you get circumcised, you gotta keep the whole law. There's, there's nothing else. That's all you can do. Paul's already established that. In chapter five, verse three, just to turn to the page for most of us, he says here that I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. No one does that. No one does that. Even the law itself recognizes that no one can keep the law. That's why, that's why Moses says, oh, that the Holy Spirit would come upon all of them because he recognized the problem was not external rules or lack of. The problem was they had no internal desire to keep the law. They needed something else. And Moses said, oh, that all the congregation would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even the lawgiver himself recognizes that the law is not enough. There has to be an internal change inside of us. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. So why are they so jealous for it? Why bring it into the church? So they can boast in your flesh. So that you make them look good. That's why. They wanted to brag about how many people they can make like them. Jesus condemned the Pharisees on similar grounds in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. It says, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he does, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You'll notice verse 13 begins where verse 12, or excuse me, verse 13 ends where verse 12 began. You see this little phrase that shows up at the beginning and at the end of both verses. You see it? In the flesh. Why bring false, why do false teachers bring false teaching into the church? Because they are in the flesh. They are obsessed with the flesh. They want fleshly desires. They want fleshly things. All their confidence is in the flesh. This is what they're selling. This is what they offer. They're hypocrites, obsessed with the flesh, temporal, obsessed with life under the sun. Where Solomon says everything is vanity of vanities. For them, that's their whole world. Life under the sun. So we need to practice wise discernment against false teachers if we're going to maintain our faithfulness. And that's the first takeaway. I told you we weren't gonna get through all four today. Can you imagine if I was gonna to try to do three more today? Yeah, it's not gonna happen. So, uh, so let's move on. I hear there's some big game tonight. I don't know, but anyway, um, that's the first takeaway. The second one is verses 14 and 15. We maintain faithfulness through confidence in Christ alone confidence in Christ alone. So let's get off the negative and let's get over to the positive, okay? Confidence in Christ alone. What happens here? He says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, may it never be, far be it from me 
This is actually one of the strongest ways in the Greek language to say, this will never happen. Uh, I don't know if it's still what modern Greek does, but in ancient Greek, this was the strongest way to say that this, I'd never want this. God forbid is what the classic English translation says, the King James where others will boast in accomplishments, salary, popularity, false teachers in Galatia. They wanted to boast about their proselytes in Galatia. But for Paul, the only thing worth boasting in was boasting in the cross of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a thing to boast in. What a thing to have confidence in. I want, you to, I want you to take yourself back to the first century because today the cross has become kind of this noble, even this beautiful thing. Our friend Pietro here is from Italy. I can only imagine the beautiful crosses that are around town and stuff like that. The ornate churches, I mean, they must be gorgeous, must be gorgeous. And we've really decorated the cross today and made it into a beautiful thing. Understand, that is not how first century Roman citizens looked at the cross. That, it was shameful. It was disgusting. It was the utmost humiliation. It was, it was degrading. It was horrible. The cross was not something you talked about in polite society. If the apostles came to the church today and, and saw some of us wearing, you know, sometimes we wear like a cross pendant on our necklace or something like that. If you are, <laughs> I'm not saying anything, but, but, but if the apostles today and came today or any Roman citizen for that matter came today and saw that hanging around our neck, they would be horrified by it. The cross was not something you talked about. In fact, most of the time they wouldn't even talk about the crux. They would talk about the unlucky tree. That's how, that's how it's referred to in other passages that we find in ancient Greek. People wouldn't even say the word cross. It was so ugly to talk about. So you can imagine how countercultural it is that Paul says, I will not boast of my accomplishments. I will not boast of my salary. I will not boast of my popularity. In fact, the thing I'm going to boast in is the most disgusting thing, the most horrible thing, the most degrading thing, the biggest humiliation, the biggest crime. For Paul to do this was absolutely countercultural. And yet Paul is bragging in the sense, he's boasting, not, not, in the, not in the bragging sense, but in that he is glorying in the cross. He is boasting in the cross. He is putting his confidence in the cross alone, not because of crucifixion in and of itself, but it was the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the crucifix. Crucifixion was such a shameful and ugly thing. And yet Jesus Christ, our Lord, came to endure it. Why? For you and me. And that's where Paul's boast is. Colossians chapter one. Let's turn a couple pages over. Verses 19 and 20. Not Philippians, Colossians. That doesn't sound right. Uh, Philippians and Colossians chapter one, verse 19 and 20 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
You see, it is by the cross that God has made peace with you and me. First Peter chapter two, verse 24. This one's I've got, this one I've got on the board. He says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. That's why, Christ, that's why Paul says, I will glory in the cross alone because there is nothing I can do that will accomplish that. There's nothing I can do. So Paul says, I glory in the cross. I boast in the cross alone. Why? Two reasons, real quick. Number one, because by it, the world is crucified. By it, the world is crucified. Back in Galatians, he says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Understand the Galatian teacher said, in order to escape the world, you had to be, you had to be circumcised Paul says, no, the world has to be crucified. It's not enough just to cut a little piece off your flesh. The world has to be crucified. Our sins must be completely and totally answered for, and it was in the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross was enough. It is sufficient for us. There, are no, there is nothing else we can add to it. And not only that, he says, Paul says, by the cross, through the death of Christ, the world and everything in it is no longer my slave master. It is no longer my, I am no longer indebted to the world. And through it, the world has lost its grip on me. When Christ was crucified, quite literally, the world cracked open and groaned under the weight of God's wrath on sin. The cross of Jesus Christ put the death knell on the world. The victory is won. The war is, the war is won. The victory is secured. We are in Christ and we have everything we need for life and godliness in this world and beyond. In the cross of Jesus Christ, he put he defeated sin, death, and the devil once for all. And now we are victorious. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. We don't need legalism. We don't need circumcision. We don't need anything that we would add to the cross. The cross is enough. I, and, and not only that, beloved, here's something else. You don't have to live in perpetual guilt anymore because you are no longer defined by your past sin. You're no longer held to your past identities because the cross of Christ has crucified it. All of that has been nailed to the cross and you don't have to walk around in perpetual guilt anymore. You are free free from guilt, free from shame, free from humiliation because there is no humiliation you have that is worse than the humiliation that Christ had on the cross and he accomplished that for you, for you and me. And so he's accomplished it all. I have victory in Christ. I am more than conquered through Christ who loves me. And then finally, what the cross accomplishes. You know, the cross doesn't just kill but it also accomplishes, look at verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 
You see, well, the cross kills the sin, hell, death, and the grave. But what it accomplishes is a new creation, something that, that no work of mine can do. Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. Outward conformity to external laws, external rules are nothing. We cannot turn over a new leaf. We cannot do better. We cannot make it right. But praise God, Christ was crucified. And by that, what matters is a new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Do I have this up there? Yeah. Therefore, if anyone is a new, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Beloved, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Praise the Lord. A new creation. The old has passed away. Christ has made you new. Beloved, try as much as we may, keep as many rules, keep as many traditions, try as much as we may. We cannot make ourselves new. Try as we may, we cannot make ourselves a new creation. We cannot cause our dead souls to live. We cannot cause ourselves to be reborn any more than we cause ourselves to be born the first time. Jesus Christ has come to give us life and give it more abundantly. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. So call to your daddy. Rely on your daddy. Call for him. Lord, be merciful upon me. Beloved, listen, the mark of a false teacher is that they will always de-emphasize the cross. Always. They will say that somehow the cross was insufficient. Jesus had to suffer in, in hell or you've got to add something to the cross or you've got to, you know, the cross was enough. It gets you to point A, but, but then from there, you got, to point, you got to do points B, C, D, and E and so on, et cetera. You've got, to, you've got to do the sacraments. You've got to do the penance. You've got to do this. You've got to speak in tongues. You've got to be baptized. You've got to fill in the blank. The mark of false teachers is that they will always de-emphasize the cross. They will always make the cross insufficient. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, 24. I want you to turn there. I want you to see this. Very important. Verse 21 and 24. Paul says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it, ple it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. Beloved, understand the Jews seek a sign. Gentiles seek for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It will be folly to everyone else. It will be a stumbling block to everyone else. But for those who are in Christ, it is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
because it pleased God through the folly of preaching the cross of Christ that by that he will bring about your salvation. God forbid that we would ever boast, place our confidence in anything other than Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ and we will keep preaching Christ until kingdom come. The world may do to us what they will. We preach Christ and we will never compromise. So we must remain faithful, maintain our faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us a church. That's what makes us Christian. That's how we know that we're in Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never known Christ as your savior. You've never placed your faith in Christ. Maybe you need to place all your confidence in Christ and him for the first time. It's no different. All of our confidence must be placed in Christ. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And let me, understand, let me help you understand what that means for a moment. It doesn't mean that we simply pray a prayer. It's like today I had to call on all my experience to fix this issue with my car, right? Well, I'm not praying to my experience. What am I doing? I'm depending on it. And that's what Paul is saying. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever fully depends on Christ alone for their salvation, they will be saved. Beloved, there is nothing else that will save you except for Christ and his work for you. And if you're here this morning, I would love to talk to you. I'm, we, we're not having altar calls right now where you come down to the front, but after service, I'll be here. If you wanna talk, I would love to have you talk. There's other godly men, Brother Roy, uh, really any of the men in our church uh, would love to talk to you about this. We're, we're a church that have been blessed with godly men and any one of them would love to talk to you about this. Godly women too, by the way, ladies, I'm not leaving you out. But there's all kinds of, we would love to talk to you. We'll even skip lunch to talk to you, amen? Amen. So if you're here this morning, we would, love to have, we would love to talk to you, how you can put your full confidence in Christ alone for your salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these reminders from your great book of Galatians. Lord, this has been a challenging study. For me, it's been a convicting study, just how often I'm tempted, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, but you are so faithful to me. You're so faithful to us. And Father, may it never be, God forbid, that we should ever boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ that has saved our soul. Lord, we long for you. We want to know you more. May we consider all things as garbage, as refuse for the surpassing value of knowing Christ and him crucified. And if there's one here this morning who does not know you, Lord, may this be the day that they come to you. Let's stand and sing this wonderful reflection of Psalm 42. Mm-hmm.